NBA fans, uh, second podcast here during the quarantine season. Um, our hairs are longer. Uh, no NBA games have gone on, but we're still here trying to spill out some content here for everybody. Um, our previous quarantine episode was the 2003 redraft. In this episode, we're jumping a couple years and going to the 2010 redraft. A big turning point for some franchises, um, as well as uh, turning points in, in a negative way, depending on how those picks fall. We're looking at Indiana, who got who stole away Paul George in the real life uh, outside of the top five, which is a crime. But we'll do that redraft as well as go over some updates here. But uh, we're excited to spill some content here. Sean, how are you feeling during this quarantine season so far? I really feel you on that long hair sentiment there, Alan. My, my hair is just out of control. It's probably as long as it's been since my freshman year of college. And back then, I swore to myself after I got my, my hair cut, after my hair being that long, I'm like, I will never let my hair get that long again. Little did I know that I might not have a choice in the future. Um, I could buzz it off. I could buy some clippers and buzz it off, but I, I have a feeling that might turn out worse than just leaving it to grow. Yeah, and I'm on that same boat with you where it's like, should I take the risk and just have an uneven haircut for the rest of who knows how long this longer this shelter-in-place will last, or do I just let it keep going and uh, basically only bother myself with it because I don't because <laughs> there's nobody else to comment on it except for you, of course. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I'm going with the flow, but your hair definitely is the longest I've ever seen it. Uh, you almost look like a different guy when you when we started the call here. I just I don't really think I look that different, but I guess <laughs> I'm just used to seeing myself in the mirror on a daily basis, so the change isn't as drastic. But it has been a few weeks since we've talked. Yeah, it has. So <laughs> let's jump, just jump right in with some quick thoughts and some quick headlines going around the basketball circle. So uh, this p- first point you got here, Sean, tell us about what, what what's going on here with the NCAA. Yeah, so this is a big one, something that we kind of saw coming but didn't think it was going to happen this soon. Big news that the NCAA is expected to rename with new image and likeness rules for their student-athletes starting in the 2021-2022 season. So that's only a year away. They're going to allow players to receive compensation for third-party endorsements, social media influence, um, businesses, and personal appearances. And this is really unprecedented. Um, The NCAA, notoriously known for being very greedy and trying to suck out all of the money that they can get from these players and these athletes are now completely doing a 180, it seems, and now allowing these players uh, to make money on their own names, um, on their own talent, which seems like it should have been reasonable the entire time. But, um, hey, got to make a buck. <laughs> yeah, I I don't even know how to react to it again because it's like, yeah, it's it's big news, but it's big news for a reason for no good reason really like this yeah you're right like can you pay the athletes i don't know like that's a that's a far-fetched uh highly debatable thing however letting them just make money off their likeness like yeah come on what the heck <laughs> yeah like I mean, why like, do you own them like you're just yeah. the entity of co- of the college athletic association like why why can you not make money on your own name doing your own stuff yeah and again that goes back to the comparison of like the math major getting a uh, you know, uh, uh, internship at a top tech companies will still make like you know fifty k, right? That, or, or not fifty k, but he'll make a he'll good make amount of money good, yeah. that summer. 
or anybody, any college student gets a summer internship, fall internship, or whatever. They make money off their the knowledge they're getting from their undergrad degree. Why can't an athlete in the same vein? Exactly. So I think the storyline here, I mean, this has kind of been a story for a while, but the big first domino that fell was when California Governor Newsom signed that bill. I was, I believe it was late last year. Um, allowing athletes to profit from endorsements um, for California student-athletes, um, which was pretty mm-hmm. big because it was basically in the face of the NCAA being like, I don't care what you guys say. Like, this is California law. Like, they can make money on their own likeness. And so that did start the conversation of, like, are other states going to follow suit? Is the NCAA going to react? Are they going to just kick California out of the NCAA? Or are they going to fall in line and uh, do the right thing, I guess, in a way? And so it seems like now um, that first domino fell. I'm sure the plan started from that point or if they hadn't been for a while. Um, and then the big news before, like right before this came out was you had top high school recruit Jalen Green entering the NBA G League Professional Pathway Program, which is a program that the G League just started. I think it was like a few years ago um where you can actually make like $500,000 a season in the G League if you're like a top high school prospect and forego college and just enter the NBA the next year and make money before you do it. Um so Jalen Green not being in the NCAA, I'm sure that was a big hit. Um another top recruit Isaiah Todd followed suit and then after that a guy Dyson Nix who had committed to UCLA decommitted to also join this G League team of top high school prospects. And then, kind of maybe in a coincidence, the NCAA comes out with this news that they're going to allow players to compensate on their own lightning. So, interesting timeline. Um, it just seemed like everything started to fall apart really quickly for the NCAA here in the last few weeks. Yeah, I mean, I mean, give me a 500K check any day over staying in class, doing tests, <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, for one year, you're not even going to get any education out of it. Yeah, I mean, I would rather take a $500 check than be in general English and general <laughs> education, U.S. history, uh, any day. Yeah, I mean, tough choice, I can go right? Back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, I, I don't know. Like, I'm gl- glad to see these guys are taking this route, and now I'm curious to see because I think that the only counter-argument to it is, I guess, being in the G League or – being in anything outside of the NCAA system can hinder your growth or development. Um, I'm not. I don't think that's a good argument, but let's see it. Like this is this is going to be a first real case study, I guess, of seeing top top recruits not bypassing the NCAA path and going to uh, this NBA G League model. So I'm curious to see what what ends up with these guys. Yeah, I'm sure they'll be fine either way. Oh yeah, I'm sure they will be. But I mean, just having that extra year where, like, I don't know if you're coming from a a hard situation or like a a poor neighborhood, like you can actually like help out your family. You know, you don't have to wait that extra year and like suffer through it. If you have the talent and the ability and the name power to be able to profit off of it. Yeah, exactly. Yep, and I think the NCAA is. is uh shaking and shook in their boots a little bit obviously after seeing this stuff yeah so do you think that this is going to be enough to keep some of these top high school prospects from entering the g league or you think they're going to be able to retain some of them or do you think that like this g league path is just going to be too enticing i don't know i it's hard to say i i would think the the g league path um is the better path 
However, I think the biggest the biggest question is that like, is there a difference in development? Is there a difference in opportunity if you take the G League path versus going the NCAA path? You know, like in the NCAA path, you you can be. I mean, if you're in the obviously the top point one percent, then you can be coached by Coach K or any of these top coaches in the nation. And is that more beneficial to your development versus? Uh, going to the going the G League path in terms of like preparedness and readiness for the NBA. Yeah, I don't know. I guess we'll we'll ha- we'll wait and see. It it'll probably take a couple of classes to actually get a conclusive answer on that. But mm-hmm. I think that would be that would be an answer that would be in my head if I was one of these young kids. Yeah, the the coaching aspect I think is a really good point that you brought up. Like being able to be coached by some of these premier college coaches like coach k obviously like that that is something that maybe that is worth staying in the college program for um, yeah because i mean I, I don't really know who the g league coaches are um exactly. they, they might have some good ones um but nick I nurse know, was there yeah nick nurse was there that's true <laughs> like maybe yeah maybe they are good but i mean none of them have the pedigree of some of these college coaches so uh, yeah, and then that. I mean, you could also just to argue with myself here. I guess <laughs> you could also make the argument towards myself is that well, they're only there for a year, so is a year even enough to really even get the yeah. benefit of a Coach K or something like that? Yeah, that's true. I mean, I don't know if you take like Zion Williamson for example. Like, I feel like he did benefit from being a year at Duke. Like he was yeah. he was just raw talent in high school, obviously explosive, but I feel like he did mature a bit being under coach k and being on that team and even being humbled in the ncaa tournament like i think that Mm -hmm. did mold him pretty well i don't think you're gonna run into that type of environment in the g league maybe so i don't know maybe this does make the g league more competitive more interesting for fans too maybe it does build some hype around it some fan base um if you do get to see these high schoolers play at a degree of a professional level um, mm-hmm. instead of against college kids uh, playing against like actual adults maybe that is enough for us to like start watching g league games because we want to see if jalen green's gonna live up to the hype yeah i mean it would also depend on like if you can get a good chunk of these kids to join the g league every year uh then that would be great you know you get these kids yeah. actually playing against each other versus just getting one or two um and then they're just kind of these top high school recruits in a in a pool full of uh, NBA hopefuls that are a little bit older, a little bit stronger than them, and it might hurt their development or it might help. I'm not really sure to the answer to that question. I think that's why it's like something to to keep tabs on and see how this experience shapes these guys. I kind of hope that uh, Boston drafts Jalen Green in two years, and they'll have Jalen Brown and Jalen Green. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be pretty funny. But how about uh, on that same topic though? You got Lamelo Ball, who comes from a a different case study, I guess he mm. goes overseas, which I mean, other guys have done it too. And it, I don't think there's really been anything that says it definitely molds you better or it molds you worse. Uh, cause ultimately it seems like if the talent is there, then the talent is there. Uh, but Lamella ball coming from Australia, declaring for the NBA draft. Th- this, this guy is going to bring viewership to the NBA draft. <laughs> That's all I know. Whether or not he actually en- ends up being a great player, Again, I feel like it's hard to say. I, I'm like so done making predictions <laughs> on young players at this point. But what right. I do know and what I would bet is that there will be a lot of eyes on the NBA draft this year. Like viewership will probably be really high because LaBella Ball somehow has a lot of fans. 
I mean, yeah, because his last name is Ball, right? Like, yeah. That, that's why he has all these fans. And he does have talent. We can't deny that. Um, mm-hmm. Still, it's pretty raw. Uh, playing against the Australia League, we don't know if that is better or worse than playing in the G League or the NCAA or even in the Euro League. Right. Um, so, but the talent is there. He's got the size. Um, seems like he's a better shooter than um, his brother Lonzo. So I mean, he's got that f- going for him. But man, I just have a bad feeling that the Knicks are going to take him, and he's just going to be terrible. They're going to fall for the hype. We'll see. I mean, it's it's <laughs> it's it's. it's wor- I would be I would be worried. I'd definitely be worried if I'm the GM because it's like, are you drafting the card? the Kardashians of basketball guy <laughs> and possibly being wrong and then being infamous for it. Or do you uh, skip over him and not fall for the hype? And then he does end up living to the hype. I don't know. He's such a night and day. Yeah. Type so of guy. polarizing. Yeah. It's, it's bad. I mean, there's a lot of bad picks that happen, but they don't really get remembered as much as they, they should, or maybe there's just a lot. Uh, but this one will definitely be remembered. Oh yeah, he's gonna be <laughs> micromanaged, microanalyzed from day one. It's it's yeah. gonna be. I mean, he'll definitely sell some tickets. So if you're just trying to sell some tickets this year, draft Lamelo Ball. Yeah, but he and with that said, he does seem like such a New York Knicks type guy. I know, or like right? New York it makes Knicks too type. much sense. <laughs> it yeah. makes too much it sense. It just feels like it, like a guy who just gets drafted, he just gets blown up, and just is just there's more noise about him than he actually deserves yeah, well, and you have to be a part of the knicks franchise which is just destined for failure like no one <laughs> yeah. could come out of there in decades right exactly um so this one's interesting too so nba teams are looking to reopen their their practice facilities um in limited capacity uh from what i heard it's mainly more volunteer uh around yeah. so like if players choose to go there they can go but there's nothing mandatory yet um, but I mean, this is interesting. I think it falls, it's in line with what's going on, uh, uh, in the country as a whole, in terms mm-hmm. of like states are slowly starting to ease things back and California, you know, we're right now in quote unquote, uh, phase two of the shelter in place. I mean, it makes sense. Um, but I could also understand why there's still a lot of concerns from staff staff members on doing this yeah it's it's an interesting one because on one hand it's like if the stipulations and the protocol for how these practice facilities are being reopened is so strict you would think that teams wouldn't be so against it it just makes you wonder like at what point do you try like it just seems Mm -hmm. like some of these teams are willing to wait until 2021 to reopen their practice facilities like I don't know. It. I think it just depends on the state too, for sure. Like in California, we've we've seen the curve flatten quite a bit. So for teams like the Lakers, Clippers, Warriors, Kings, like I would consider trying to reopen the practice facilities if you if you are serious about trying to get it back in shape. I, I know like they're doing their workouts obviously at home. Uh, some most of all of them have hoops they can shoot on outside, but it, it's different in the gym. You know, that that's yeah. that's really the baskets that you're trying to shoot on. Like, when I play basketball outside versus inside, it's so much different. Like, it's, a, it's almost a different game to me. Right. So, I don't know. I, I feel like we have gotten to a point where we can try to slowly reopen. Um, like you said, uh, we are getting into phase two this Friday in California where we're going to reopen some retail stores and some other different businesses in limited capacity. 
Um, I mean, individual practices um, with six assistants or personnel they're supervising from, I'm sure, kind of a distance uh, with face masks. Uh, I think that seems pretty reasonable. Um, I don't know. I, it's yeah. not like it's not like they're saying like you have to be in contact with anybody. It's like this is all still like very individual workouts, um, just being able to take place in the facility that you weren't able to before. Uh, but Mark Cuban has been the most like the voice completely against this, saying that I think. Well, here's the big part: is that asymptomatic players aren't going to be tested before entering the facility. Um, so he's worried that they're still going to spread it to pe- other people in the gym um, because they're asymptomatic and they don't know that they have it. Um, so that that's an interesting one. I do I do wonder if they should maybe reconsider that and still test anyone that wants to go to the practice facility. Um, Mm -hmm. obviously tests are limited in some areas, but, um, I mean, in the place, like, like in LA, like they give out free tests, um, like all the time. So that maybe that's a place where you could, if you're like Lakers or Clippers, you could be like, okay, I'm going to get tested and then I'm going to go to the practice facility. Yeah. And that's the interesting thing. It's like, there's like several pressures I feel on the NBA. It's like, if you want to get the season started, then we gotta get the players in the gyms. Like, as yeah. soon as possible at this point it's like or else like it's just not gonna happen like if we're shoot if the nba is thinking roughly a july playoff season then yeah you got to get the players in in may and get some practice games exhibition games in late june or else it's just not gonna happen or it's gonna be a very ugly playoff players are gonna get hurt and the quality is just gonna suffer mm-hmm. um so there's that pressure and i think the other pressures of course like um the health the health reasons between staff and players like do they feel healthy enough do they feel safe enough to get back into the practice facilities so i mean i could see why mark cuban is against it but at the same time i also do think um you're on that same boat as you sean like you got to kind of try a little bit especially if you if you want to try to get a season salvage this season somehow if that means starting a playoff the playoff the playoffs in July or late June, like now is the time to start trying some things to get things going. Right. And it's like, obviously, if like you see a few more cases pop up because they opened it up, you just be like, okay, we're just going to wait a little longer. You know, like <laughs> we don't have to mm-hmm. like once we get a few like a step forward or two, we don't have to only stay at that step. We can always go back to the way we are mm-hmm. right now. So I don't know. I think it's worth testing at this point because. I feel like a lot of us are just sitting on our hands waiting for the next step. Um, and yeah. yeah, I don't know. Like maybe, maybe my point of view is skewed being in a County that maybe has like one to five new cases a day. Um, it just doesn't, I don't know. It just seems like we should try something. Um, yeah. Not like anything crazy, obviously, but like just something to help us maybe like get a little more normalcy back. Yeah, I think I think the NBA could try something. They would they would have to be super controlled and bubbled about it in terms of like, you know, keeping everybody uh um limited to the amount of contacts that they make outside of this circle, but I mean, I am on the boat like let's let's try it. Let's see. Ask the players are they open to it? Are is, are the few staff members, the essential staffs that you need to get these things um going? And turned on, like, are they on board as well? Like, if everybody's on board, then I think you can make it happen. But if not, then it will be a struggle. And then let's stop talking about this and let's <laughs> just start thinking about 2021 NBA season. Yeah. 
for real. Uh, Man, I'd be fine with like a three like three game playoff series at this point. Yeah, <laughs> you know? I would too. I, I mean, I I would love to still see an NBA champion, but I also don't want to see an NBA champion that's like. I don't know, like the 70, like some random team ends up winning it just because they were the ones who ended <laughs> yeah. up actually keeping up with their fitness. Well, that's the thing. Any any team that's crowned champion this year, if there is one, it's just going to be an asterisk. Like you can't, right. you can't say that they're a true champion. Yeah, it'd be tough. It'd be tough. I mean, yeah. Either way, the NBA, yeah, it would be really tough. Right. Um. Yeah, but anyways... Let's move on from this. Let's go to the last dance. Episode five and six are have just were released last weekend. And Sean, I know you you've been keeping up with it. I've been keeping up with it. I think everybody in the basketball <laughs> world has been watching the heck out of this thing. Um it's a great it's everything about this documentary to me has been super great. There's a lot of things in there that have happened um that I'm like, wow, if LeBron did that, or if Kobe <laughs> did that, or you know, anybody did that. They would not hear the end of it. <laughs> it would be like I've and so many things have happened that I'm like, that seems a little bit worse than the than the decision or that <laughs> seems a lot worse than, uh, you know, LeBron's. I mean, they keep saying like LeBron's, you know, bad game against the against the San Antonio Spurs and Ray Allen hit that three where it's yeah. like, I don't think he had a bad game. But yes, Ray Allen did. But it's like at the same time, well, like. Uh, John Paxson saved the crap out right? of Michael yeah. Jordan, he like game-winning shot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, how are you and we not bringing this stuff up? Or like, you know, Dennis Rodman was like, give this man some credit. This dude was like legit. Scotty Pippen, Pippen, <laughs> legit. Like, come on. Yeah, like Michael was nothing without the team. Like that's just yeah. how it breaks down. Like, I mean, he was amazing. He was the best player mm-hmm. in the league. So not nothing, but he wasn't going to win a championship without Scotty Pippen. He wasn't gonna win one without Dennis Rodman or Phil exactly. Jackson, for that matter. Like he wouldn't. Oh. If if uh, Doug Collins had stayed his coach, he would have put up just absurd numbers every year. And yeah, never and he won probably wouldn't. Yeah, never won. Never yeah. won. Mm-hmm. It's great, and it's like, I mean, Kobe was just like lit on fire those two years when uh, he was just like dominating the crap out of the ball, you know, <laughs> getting eighty-one points. Yeah. And like Jordan was doing the exact same thing and right. not winning either, but he's like, <laughs> you know, those seasons are like revered mm-hmm. and it's, I don't know. I, I think Michael Jordan's a great player and I like it, but there's some things that kind of, you know, I'm obviously like more of a new school NBA fan. So um, <laughs> I compare it and I'm like, okay, yeah, the, in the social media era, he deserves some of the crap that like some of the NBA players these days get. Mm-hmm. Um so to me, one, but out of all that, the craziest thing to me is this thing that Michael Jordan left his hotel at midnight or 10 p.m. or whatever mm-hmm. to go gamble in the middle of the <laughs> Eastern Conference Finals against yes. the New York Knicks. Mind it a close series, a team who's a rival, a team who had a legitimate chance at, well, maybe not legitimate, but they were right there to beating them. Um, with Patrick Ewing and those guys, mm-hmm. like, and then Jordan just leaves and goes gambling for hours until 2 a.m., 3 a.m. That's crazy. Like, if yeah. LeBron did that, oh, oh man. my God. The world would explode. Yes. <laughs> he would be tarnished. He would be ripped apart. The Dennis like Rodman 48-hour, quote-unquote, yeah. Vegas trip. <laughs> the 48, like, th- that stuff is crazy to me. Like, I guess it's just the days now, but... 
at the same time, I, the way I think about it, I'm like, dude, that's just the quality of the competition in these days where it's like all everybody's just zeroed in versus before. It's like the guys who were zeroed in were like really good and the and the average person wasn't quite as zeroed in. That's interesting. I took a different thing from that. I I got from that that the, it was just so much of a different era of you had to be you didn't have to be 100% on all the time. Like they saw the benefit of stepping away from the game for oh. some period of time and just letting yourself be a human for a second. Like LeBron can't do that. Like no. he, he has to be a superhuman at every single second of his life. And if he does anything a little off the straight and narrow, it gets t- completely ridiculed. But mm-hmm. I mean, obviously Michael Jordan did deal with that too, but like the coaching staff would have never let like a coaching staff of these days would never let Dennis Rodman go to on a Vegas trip. They would never let Michael Jordan leave his hotel room to go gamble in the middle of the night. Like, ah, it's just it was a different era. They just they saw the benefit in letting them step away from the game or something. Like, or they just put more trust in the players. You know, like, yeah. Obviously, the media was exactly the same though. Like the media just <laughs> jumped on it like crazy, and that that was the thing that was an interesting moment in the episode for me. Is just. I could almost feel like the burden of Michael Jordan having to deal with so much media, being a global icon, being the most popular human on earth, essentially, and getting ridiculed for going out and gambling and having these high stakes um, bets on golfing games or just like tossing coins in the locker room with the, with the security, (laughs) like people jumped on that. And like the, the whole narrative of like the rise and fall, of the champion like that's kind of that's very true like people do yeah. latch on to the rise but then when you have risen they want to see you fall too and how you'll oh, fall yeah. it yeah it, it really outlined that in a way like i'd never fully understood before yeah i mean i think i think a great modern examples of the warriors where it's like 2015 yes. 2016 <laughs> they were kind of like the darlings and uh-huh i think last year Everybody wanted them to lose against the Raptors. <laughs> like nobody cheered for Katie oh, to yeah. towards Achilles, of course not. But but I inside we were kind of like, oh, this is good for the Raptors. Yeah, like yeah. I wanted them. I wanted to see them lose, and like a lot of people, I think in the NBA did as well. Um, I think I think it's the same reason why a lot of people were like blowing up the J.R. Smith thing because we would have loved to see LeBron steal one game. <laughs> yes. from this from the mighty Warriors, and it's like. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it does. It obviously does. I think that that follows the same trajectory. And I think it's the same one that, um, you know, Laker fans, I mean, anti Laker fans lashed on when Lakers three peated and then mm-hmm. Kobe with his two. And then the same thing with the Boston, the big three and the Miami Heat big three, too. A lot of people wanted them to lose those last few years. Yeah. Um, Once you win, you the people want you to lose. It's a really yeah. weird thing. Yeah, and the, the other thing I was going to say is um, watching this documentary, like those all those things that we've said, it's like none of those things, though, are part of Michael Jordan's legacy, though, at least not until now that we know about it. Mm-hmm. So that's what's crazy to me. Like, yeah, at that moment, like Jordan felt the weight and all this pressure and was scrutinized. But 20 years later, nobody really remembered those things until now again. Right, yeah, when it's refreshing your mind. Mm-hmm. Man, it's so it's so interesting. I think one of the bigger points for me too is like there's all the like be like Mike, obviously, like that was the mantra back then. And you have Michael yeah. Jordan's quote, like, nobody wants to be like me. 
Like, <laughs> uh, he's so committed to the game. It's such a singular focus. Like, he doesn't have time for anything else but basketball. And he gets yeah. counted by the media. And he has no privacy. And he's just working as hard as a human can work at one thing. Like, it's not a glamorous lifestyle as much as it seems like it from the outside. Yeah, and that's also another thing about Jordan compared to, like, um, compared to LeBron or Kobe is that well and i say lebron and kobe because kobe obviously had his mamba character and lebron has mm-hmm. his king care like it felt like kobe and lebron live for those characters and lit or slash lived as well for those characters like like lebron plays into that whereas it looks like jordan didn't really care so much no. about being quote-unquote the role model like he did it but he didn't really care so much about it. And he had an interesting quote during the thing where he was like, yeah, it's like, this is me. And if I'm not the person that you want me to be, then it sounds like maybe I shouldn't be the person that you look up to. Yeah. He mm-hmm. said something along those lines in the documentary. And I, and I was like, I took me back and I was like, yeah, it's like, it's true. <laughs> um, and not, it's crazy to me that Jordan feels that way, despite like so much money being thrown at him to be a certain way. But it is clear that he didn't really care so much about it. He really just cared about being the best basketball player he ever he could be. Yeah, like his competitiveness was just on a whole different level. Like it wasn't yeah. human. It was an unhuman competitive level. Like even just like golfing for huge amounts of money or all, all the card games on the plane where they play for thousands of dollars just playing like blackjack. Like, yeah, or the yeah, or that story they told where he was he, he was completely sunburned because he had spent hours playing golf <laughs> the night the day before one of the playoff games. It's like, right? What? <laughs> yeah, it's so crazy, man. Yeah, and I think uh, one of the big ones, uh, not to go completely off topic here, that we, I think we should talk quickly on is the Isaiah Thomas because Isaiah Thomas mm. has been like sort of this secondary topic of the first couple episodes here. Yeah. And his his role with Jordan and his role with the dream team and I mean I, I've watched I've watched a thirty for thirty on Bad Boys and that really opened my eyes to Isaiah Thomas and I watched <laughs> a lot of tape of Isaiah Thomas and I think he's one of the be- I think he's easily the third best point guard of all time. Like I would definitely go Magic Johnson, probably Isaiah Thomas, and I'm going to be controversial here and say Steph Curry hmm. up there. I would but say that's, that's the way. Yeah, but that's what I'd go. Like I, Isaiah Thomas should have been on that dream team. Like I think he at that time was in his prime, and he was 19 and seven, leading a an older uh, Pistons team to the NBA playoffs. John Stockton, same age, but he was a 15-14 guy. Uh, Larry Bird was old. He only played 45 <laughs> games that year. Magic Johnson, he had just led the Lakers to the finals, but he was also getting was on the too. older side of mm-hmm. things. So to me, it felt like if you were wanting to win, Isaiah Thomas was a must-have weapon. Like yeah. He's in his prime. One of the He just had one of his best seasons. Um I don't know. I think it did. It was a crime that he was left off that team. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause there's that, there's that perspective, right? It's like he, he is one of the best players to ever play the game. Easily mm-hmm. the second best point guard in the world at that point behind magic Johnson. And he got snubbed from the team for a uh, Christian Leitner, <laughs> the Duke boy. <laughs> oh, Christian Leitner. Yeah. 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 The Duke boy made the team and Isaiah Thomas didn't, but it all comes down to chemistry. 
Like, yeah. would they have even stepped on the floor together, him and Michael Jordan? No, I don't think they would have. I think from Michael Jordan's perspective, Isaiah Thomas's beef wasn't just with him. It was with a lot of other guys in the league because Isaiah Thomas was out there to make enemies. Like, that's part of the bad boys Pistons mantra is like, you're not friends with these people you're playing against. Like, you're not going to say good game to them after the game. Like, you're out there to just destroy them. And, yeah. Yeah. And so I don't know. I think I think if they allowed Isaiah Thomas onto the dream team, it would have led to so much drama that they didn't want that it wasn't worth it. And they're like, we have the best players in the league. We're not going to lose to anyone from any other country at this point in where basketball was at that point in like history. Yeah, I think that's true. Obviously, whether Isaiah Thomas or not, they, that team still won. Um, yeah, it like just kind of <laughs> sucks. It's just a legacy point that it's really the loss yeah, for Isaiah their best Thomas. competition was Tony Kukoc in Croatia. Tony Kukoc, and the, yep. and then <laughs> uh, the first game they played against him, they toyed with them and just destroyed Kukoc and won by thirty five. And then they faced them again in the final, and the whole um, the whole like subject of it was oh Tony Tony Kukoc like came back with a vengeance, and they still lost by thirty two. <laughs> like. <laughs> Like that was a good thing for them. Like that that made Tony Kukoc look better because he played a little better than the first game, but they still got completely destroyed. Like that team wasn't going to they could have taken off a few more players from that dream team they still would have won. Yeah, that's true. I think it's just the legacy point and I think it's just uh there there's been some disrespect to Isaiah Thomas and I think this guy was a legitimate player. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> and even Michael Jordan admitted that in the documentary. He he himself said he thinks Isaiah Thomas is the second best point guard um ever to play. Yeah. But I mean it's like we just heard that but it's taken years for Jordan to say something <laughs> like that. We're talking 30 years. Can you imagine having a feud for that long? <laughs> That's crazy. Like just hating man. hating a human for that long. Like <laughs> longer than I've been alive. And it's like I mean, there's one thing where people have feuds over real stuff and this doesn't seem like a real thing. It's just basketball. But hey, <laughs> hey this is Michael Jordan's life, man. Yeah, this is this is the life here. So one last point here on this is Sean, you see you put a point here on the was MJ right to not get involved in the political battle? This is a tricky, tricky question right. that a lot of people have talked and I've seen it mentioned in books and online blogs and stuff for years. And um, and Jordan finally gave an answer to this question. Like, I guess he would refuse to give answers to this question mm-hmm. throughout his playing career. Like, that was just a direction from the PR team: is don't ask Jordan about Isaiah Thomas, and don't <laughs> ask Isaiah, I, um, don't ask Jordan about Isaiah Thomas, and don't ask Jordan about this particular issue. And he finally gave an answer. Um, was he right? I mean, I I think at that time it seems like he was obviously a really young guy, and I think. There wasn't quite the the media um, education, I guess, if you will, on young athletes on how to respond to situations like this quite as much as there is now. Mm-hmm. So I think if you look at it from the lens of today, you're like, well, yeah, Michael Jordan should have given or at the very least not given an answer and not have had avoided given the answer that he did give. Like he would have mm-hmm. been better off just saying no comment than saying the thing he did say. Right. Like. And from the lens of today, that's obviously what he would have been taught or at least advised by a PR team of some sort to just say no comment or 
or you know give the politically the more uh reputational safe answer but instead because he had none of that he was a young athlete a lot of eyes on him he said what he felt and <laughs> then that's what we got and was it right i mean i don't think it's really i think it's just it was not a good answer i'd say that much yeah so I don't think that there's a right or a wrong for Michael Jordan yeah. in this case because of what you said. It, it was a totally different era. Like you, like just because you're a really famous person doesn't mean you had to get involved in politics. Mm-hmm. Um, even if it seemed super obvious that Michael Jordan should obviously back this black Democrat in in the '90s fighting for racial equality. Um, against a very well, what's looked like he was a very racist Republican incumbent that he was going against, and who knows, maybe Michael Jordan, if he ended up backing him, um, he could have caused a lot of strife. Sure, like definitely would have caused a lot of drama, but would he have helped to accelerate um, equality amongst races? Maybe, <laughs> um, if he decided to take that stand, it's it's hard to say. Like what? If, mm-hmm. What if that guy still ended up losing? I got like who knows what would happen. It's it's not on him. Like it's not fair. I think for us to tell him how he should live his life. Like if he doesn't want to get involved in politics, he shouldn't get involved in politics. Um, I think that's every that's every person's battle. You know, like that's not on us to say like whatever Michael Jordan says. Like that's something. Like he doesn't want to be a role model. Like you said, yeah. like it wasn't his prerogative to be a role model. It was his prerogative to be the best basketball player who ever lived. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's like uh, I think that's the point. I, I guess I'm also trying if trying to say is that I think what it felt like was Jordan wanted to be neutral. However, the answer he gave did not come across. Oh as yeah, the, neutral. the Republicans <laughs> buy shoes too. Like that, like that's just a dumb kid answer. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and it ended up the mistake wasn't that he didn't choose a side. The mistake was. And the answer that he did end up giving, like, yep. I think the better situation would have been like, yes, like, I don't think a 23 year old or 20, I don't know how old, I think he was like 25 at that time. No, it like the burden should not be on the, on him to, to, <laughs> ste- to steer a political race, especially right. one that I'm not sure. Maybe it, he honestly didn't know that much about the background between the Senate race. I mean, so, he probably didn't. Cause he's yeah. just only plays, he plays basketball. That's what he does. <laughs> exactly. So I think, had he had the proper, uh, adv- adv- you know, team behind him and the right advice, he probably would have given a better answer in terms of like, I don't know enough or no comment on that or you know just don't ask me about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. Yeah. All right. So, moving on from the last here dance, we, we got the next episodes coming this weekend. But now here we are to the 2010 redraft. Uh, so this was an interesting draft and the interesting thing about it was there there it's the talent is there there's a couple big mm-hmm. names but there's there's a lot of turning there's a lot of forks in the roads here for the way some teams drafted and the way some teams didn't draft and the way we do this redraft is going to affect the fate of some of these teams notably <laughs> teams like the Pacers oh yeah. uh, Utah uh, Utah Philadelphia like and that's that's where I want to see see where we are in the thoughts. So me and Sean already yeah. chose pre chose our picks. Sean is going first. He got the lottery balls to fall in his place. <laughs> I don't know what he's going with. He doesn't know what I'm going with. But let's let's see where this falls. Yep. So um, I'm, what I'm, discussions this brings. So 
You're on the clock, Sean, for with the number one pick for the Washington Wizards. Yes, sir. I got the odd teams. You got the evens once again. Um, I got mm-hmm. LeBron last time. I'm feeling pretty good about myself after a successful draft. Uh, so here we are in 2010. Uh, we're just coming off the season. The Washington Wizards have the number one pick, um, having finished the previous season 26-56, and 56, which was the second worst in the East. <laughs> Although, man, they had a stacked roster going into this season. I'm sure they had some playoff hopes, but it just completely fell apart. It yeah. <laughs> crumbled to the ground. This is the starting lineup. Very good starting lineup to start the season. Gilbert Arenas, Mike Miller, Karan Butler, Anton Jamison, and Brandon Haywood. This is a core that they've had for a while now, and it's worked mm-hmm. for them. Haven't really made it that far in the playoffs, but they're always competitive. Um, but man, this season just completely imploded on them. Um, you had this is the season where Arenas and uh, Javar's Crittenton got suspended halfway through the season for having guns in the locker room. My lord, <laughs> this so it, we're talking about thirty for thirties. Like this story deserves at the very least like a podcast thirty for thirty or oh like a gosh, short yeah. thirty for thirty. Like this is a crazy situation because it's not even just. Um, the fact that they did this, but then just what happens to Gilbert Arenas' career after this oh, and the Wizards awful. franchise. Yeah, completely falls apart. Um, they do not recover for a while after this, spoiler alert. But um, they do end up, they did in the real draft pick John Wall, which was a great pick. Um, but uh, before that, so even before the draft, after the Arenas and Crittenton stuff, they blew the team up at the trade deadline, trading Butler and Haywood to Dallas and Anton Jamison getting shipped off to Cleveland. So we're looking at a complete rebuild here um, for the Washington Wizards, who did retain retain Gilbert Arenas on the roster um, going into next season. So interesting that they went with John Wall. So I think it makes total sense to me because they're like, okay, Gilbert Arenas, there's no way this guy's got a future here anymore. He had guns in the locker room. So mm-hmm. they're going to go with John Wall, who was at the time like the best prospect out of college um, yeah. and a point guard that would replace Gilbert Arenas when they're finally able to get rid of him. Mm-hmm. But if I'm the Wizards, I'm going with the best player available in this draft. Um, and this is a player who I think has surpassed John Wall in many ways. Um, John Wall, obviously being a top five point guard talent in the league right now, but considering the, t- the what he's gone through the last few years and just considering the overall win shares and the amount of impact that this player has had on the teams that he's been on, I'm going to go with Paul George with the number one yeah. overall pick. No brainer, no brainer. The the young kid from Fresno State over the <laughs> University of Kentucky. <laughs> Who would have thought? There we go. I mean, John Wall had the deserving hype coming out of this draft. Oh, for but... sure. And he performed really well. He ended up being the rookie of the year. Um, the oh, yeah. Year. So, I mean, Wizards probably do not regret drafting John Wall, but I think that they would be a little happier had they picked Paul George in the spot instead. Oh, yeah. In hindsight, like, Paul George was a turning point for the Indiana Pacers. He mm-hmm. was the difference between them being a, a horrible 20 wins team to all of a sudden jumping and making the Eastern Conference Finals a couple times. So, hey, I'm not surprised you go with Paul George, <laughs> the, Paul George there, especially for a team that this Wizards team was completely going to get blown up and it was going to be a couple years before they saw playoff success with John Wall or Paul George. Mm-hmm. All right, so... I'm on the clock here for the number two pick, the Philadelphia 76ers. So this is a pre 
process Philadelphia 76ers, but nonetheless, it's one of the first uh, years to start this thing. Uh, so they're 27-55. They had a starting lineup of Andre Iguodala, Thaddeus Young, Elton Brand, Samuel Dallinvier, and an aging Allen Iverson <laughs> who they brought back in the middle of the season. It was just kind of like a good gesture more than anything because he didn't do much. But they did have a young Drew Holiday, a pre-Mo Buckets Maurice Spraits. Um, but this team, um, I'm not sure why they ended up going with Evan Turner here. I think Evan Turner had the hype again coming out of yeah. college. Uh, they also had a young Lou Williams, but if we were going to redo this draft over again, in hindsight, I'm going with big the big boy. I'm going with Demarcus wow, Cousins. Interesting. Now there's a lot of good guys still on the board here, even after Paul George. We still have uh, John Wall, Gordon Hayward. Um, uh, lot these. Well, I mean, I guess these were the top talent picks there, but I'm going with Demarcus Cousins. This guy was consistent the first. What the first eight years of his career? He's a big oh, guy, yeah. double double machine. Uh, you give me Andre Iguodala, you give me Demarcus Cousins, a young Drew Holiday, and um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what else you can add to this team as the years go by. But I think looking at it hindsight, like Elton Brand never got over his injury problems here. Thaddeus Young was okay. Samuel Dallambier, like he's just a placeholder. But you give me, <laughs> you give me uh, Demarcus Cousins, Andre Iguodala, and Drew Holiday. I think this is a uh, this is a playoff team in two seasons after this draft. Dang. Yeah, I mean, I think as if you're going to go straight by the numbers, DeMarcus Cousins has put up the best numbers of anyone from this draft class, and he's super talented. The injuries obviously being the big downfall for him, um, especially mm-hmm. in these last few years. Uh, it's a good pick. I can't, I can't argue too much against it. I might have gone more point guard route. Um, if, if the best you got is a young, is an old Allen Iverson um, I guess well, Drew got, Holiday being yeah, there. Yeah, you got a young Drew Holiday there. Yeah, but they didn't even keep him around long I'm gonna enough put for him the to get ball, good. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to put the ball in Drew Holiday's hand and uh, give me Andre Guadalla, my team leader, and then let's roll with a, develop, a quickly developing DeMarcus Cousins because he mm. developed quick in Sacramento. Like, That's he true. Was, yeah, he, he was, was the man instantly. Yeah, never ever got him to the playoffs, though. Yes, <laughs> but, yeah. yeah. Yeah, maybe if he had help like Andre Guadalla and Drew Holiday. Oh, he needed been, help. Yeah, maybe it would have been a totally different narrative for him. So, and it's also Philadelphia, not Sacramento. He'd have a lot <laughs> yes. better. Yeah, he he could have been Joel Embiid before Joel Embiid. Yeah. So now you're on the clock, Sean. Oh, with the yeah. worst Here team in the league. <laughs> <laughs> not just the worst team in the league, a historically terrible team here in the New Jersey Nets. They finished the season twelve and seventy. Yeah, which, just... which, if you look at the first half of the season for them, was actually better than what you would have thought because they started the season four and forty-six. <laughs> Worst Wait, record in the league by far. Wait, what are you gonna say? I was, you said four and forty-six. Yeah, four and forty-six. <sighs> this is a team that lost their first eighteen games before <laughs> getting their first win. Their coach was fired after losing the first 16 games of the season. And they went on to lose a couple more before getting their first victory. And this this is a this is a really sad team. Uh the starting lineup. I don't this is all I'm going to say about them. Their starting lineup, Devin Harris, Courtney Lee, Terrence Williams, Yi Jianlian, <laughs> and their only good player Brooke Lopez. So yeah. if I'm if I'm the Nets, I'm actually happy that you took DeMarcus Cousins with that pick because we weren't going to take a center. 
Uh, that's the only piece I we consider stick, sticking with on our team right now. So we're going to go with the best player available that isn't a center. And right now I'm looking at, you left John Wall on the board. I'm going to take him right here. John Wall. Yeah, John, you need any, you need anything you can get on this yeah. roster. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm curious as to whether or not this is the year that Devin Harris made that crazy buzzer beater from half court. Do you, I mean, did you ever see the highlight for that? I do not remember that. Because it was back in the because this is this is New Jersey Nets days, right? This is <laughs> yeah. not not Brooklyn. Yeah, this is not Brooklyn. Wow, 12, 12 and seventy. That yeah, so that is the, horrible. And then yeah, they compounded that by drafting Derek Favors in the real draft. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why they picked Derek Favors. He must have had a lot of hype coming out of college. But yeah, if I can get John Wall right here, I'm going to take him. Like, yeah, it's... that would have helped them become so much better over the next decade. Yeah, exactly. Maybe they never become the Brooklyn Nets. They stay in New Jersey with John <laughs> yeah, Wall. They're able to sell enough tickets. <laughs> yeah, so I'm on the clock now. I got the Minnesota Timberwolves who did better they than were the New too. Jersey Nets, but they were <laughs> awful, awful as well. They tied their franchise worst with only winning 15 games here. Oh. Uh, this is a Minnesota team that's like... I mean, it's bad. When you when I looked at the franchise history for this, it's like 2004, they made the playoffs, and then it's just bad from there. And then there's just one line item where they made the playoffs two years ago with <laughs> Carl Anthony Towns. I'm not, I'm not sure much changes here, even <laughs> with the, the pick I make here. But, really? I mean, wow. it's definitely better than the pick they did make. So they drafted Wesley Johnson, who's <laughs> one of those guys who, like, Always looked like he had a lot of potential, but never, ever came close to living up to it. Always uh, mediocre. Exactly. Complete. Um, just just journeyman here. So it's a young team. Top eight rotation players were all under the age of 25. You had a starting lineup with Johnny Flynn, Corey Brewer, Ryan Gomes, Kevin Love, oh. and Al Jefferson. So the front line isn't so bad. Kevin Love, yeah. Al Jefferson, mm-hmm. that's actually not that bad. But then this team turns around and trades away Al Jefferson in the summer for Costas Kufas, Delonte West, and Michael, Michael Beasley. Beasley. <laughs> and these moves just just absolutely blow up in their face. But you know what? I'm still going with Gordon Hayward here. Mm. Gordon Hayward in another alternative universe, possibly you could be the guy who saves the Minnesota Timberwolves and gets them to the playoffs before the year of 2018. Uh, but likely not because you are facing a very incompetent front office uh, and a Kevin Love who will eventually ask for a trade. But for the meantime, I gift you with Gordon Hayward. Man, yeah, they definitely would have made the playoffs with Hayward and Kevin Love. I think that that's enough to get them over. Oh, yeah. If, if they keep Al Jefferson, I think give him some time. Too, yeah. Yeah. Give him some time, and this team would have actually been pretty Man. decent. 7-8 yeah. seed. Mm-hmm. Um, but who knows? Yeah. Dang. Yeah. So that's too bad for Utah. Gordon Hayward off the board. <laughs> um, and too bad for my Sacramento Kings here at number five. They are going to be DeMarcus Cousins-less. <laughs> um, not, not that that helped them make the playoffs, but uh, we'll see what we can get. Probably not going to be better than that. So we're looking at last season, they, they had a pretty bad season. Again, 25-57 uh, and 57 record, second worst in the West um, to only the Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, their starting lineup was uh, Bano Udrick, Tyreek Evans, Omri Caspi, Carl Landry, and Jason Thompson. And the only bright spot in that being Tyreek Evans, who was Rookie of the Year 
um, in the previous season, had a great year. Uh, he mm-hmm. actually had a good few years with Sacramento before falling off really for no reason. I'm not really sure what, what happened to him. but He had some uh, knee issues, but yeah, uh, he okay, really yeah. fell off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember getting really excited about seeing him. Like, this guy's going to be a star in the league, but he just never was able to get over those injuries and get over that hump. So uh, we can't get DeMarcus Cousins, unfortunately. So for the Sacramento Kings, I'm looking at maybe a forward or a center to pair with Tyreek Evans um, because he's good at both guard positions. So I'm going to take the best center available on, on this board right here. I'm going to go with Hassan Whiteside. Hassan Whiteside. Good yeah. one. I forget that Hassan Whiteside was in this tr- in this draft. I almost forgot about him, and then I just <laughs> quickly remembered him. That's a good one. Uh, Tyreek Evans, Hassan Whiteside. Good. Yeah. Perfect obvious... recipe for butt- butting of heads. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's an obvious downgrade from Demarcus Cousins, but like they were they were even thinking center that year anyway, obviously, and so um that's that's your next best bet there if you if you can't have demarcus that that's what you're gonna have to get and he's he's a great stat stuffer Um, yeah get those boards for you big time yeah so i'm on the clock now for the golden state warriors so this is two years off the we believe warriors Hmm. uh they're the third worst defensive rated team (laughs) so this team was just getting scored on night and day uh, this team already had Steph Curry. They had Monte Ellis, Corey Maggette, Reggie Williams, and Ronnie Turioff. But this is a team that midway through this year or close to the end of the year here at the trade deadline just went into full tank mode, traded away their best players in Steven Jackson, <laughs> Marco Bellinelli, Corey Maggette. Um, ended up, this all obviously ended up paying off because because of these trades, they they do horrible this year and they do horrible <laughs> next year, which leads them to that perfect 2010, 2011 draft where they've got Clay Thompson and Draymond Green. Uh, so it might not really matter what I do in here in this redraft for them because they end up, the benefits are, they have already set up the benefits for themselves, which are going to come further down the line. Uh, but either way, they, they ended up going with Elkeep Udo, which <laughs> uh, this is a dude who had a no career. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's like, so anything I do draft is just an addition as a result of there being nothing here. So I'm going to go here, and I'm just going to say let's just start the three-point shooting revolution quicker, and I'm going to give him Patrick Patterson. Wow. Uh, a decent three-point shooter. Uh, not not blows the eyes away, but, uh, I mean, Patrick Patterson is a great guy for this Golden State Warriors team to bring off the bench, especially once they get Thompson and Green in there in the later years. Now this is a situation where the foresight, or the yeah the hindsight comes into play so much because Patrick Patterson obviously is not the most talented player left on this draft mm-hmm. board by a long shot I would say, but just because you know how they're gonna turn out in the years to come you draft for that instead oh yeah that makes them the better that makes him the best player that they like the player that they would want the most in this draft. Oh, yeah, Patrick Patterson off the bench for a 2013, 2014, 2015 Warriors team. That's way better than Anderson Verajao or um, <laughs> whoever they had coming off the bench. Anderson Verajao. Bunch of no names. Yeah, like a super injured Andrew Bogut. Like, and Patrick <laughs> Patterson was a decent rebounder in some of his younger years. He's a good defender, and, too. Yeah, he he's not so bad. All right, all right. I respect that. That was really that was a pick out of nowhere. I was not expecting that, but I put yeah. some thought into it. I like it. I like it a lot. <laughs> so we're moving on here to the Detroit Pistons. 
who have really fallen from graces from their glory days in the mid 2000s um back when one they won, they had won one championship this decade already but and they still have a few pieces from that but it, it's completely fallen apart at this point um they're 27 and 55 um fourth worst in the east this is their first time missing the playoffs since the 2000 and 2001 season um so they're they're in dire straits uh with the starting lineup of rodney stuckey um they still got rip hamilton uh tayshawn prince and then you got jonas Jerebko, and then you still you got ben wallace back um back for a fresh start with the pistons again unfortunately it was not enough for them um, ben Wallace and Rip Hamilton being on the older side uh, at this point in their careers. Um, they had just lost Rasheed Wallace to free agency um, last summer. And Rip Hamilton and, and Tayshaun Prince only played about half the season. Um, I couldn't find out why from the research I did. I think they were just hurt. Um, mm-hmm. I did see that Rip Hamilton did have disagreements with the coach at the time here too. Um, so there was some bickering there. Um, even got some DNP coach's decision um, for some of those. So, yeah, Detroit is in a pretty bad situation. Um, definitely uh, the dynasty has ended there. And Tayshaun Prince is really the only thing you're going to have for the foreseeable future for at least the next few years here. Um, so that's really the only position I think that they're not looking for. So at this point, you're looking for a point guard or a power forward, I think. A point guard because you got Rodney Stuckey. I mean, the, the days of Chauncey Billups are long gone. You need someone to fill in that point guard position or power forward because Jonas Jerebko, super average, and you lost Rasheed Wall, so you still need someone to fill that position. Um, they ended up drafting Greg Monroe, um, which is weird because they had Ben Wallace at center for another few years after this, <laughs> and he's Greg Monroe, so I'm not very excited about that. I don't think they were either, so I'm going to go with the best point guard available on the draft board right now, and that's Eric Bledsoe. Yeah, that makes sense. Eric Bledsoe is the the next best player here, so I I can't argue against that yeah. one. I'm not. I'm not. There's no fanciness with my pick, like your Patrick Patterson pick. <laughs> but that that's that's the one I'm going with right here. I think yeah, Bledsoe man, um, he had some good years with the Clippers too. I remember um, with the uh, with the Lob City days. We we had him for a year or two, and he was a great backup to Chris Paul. And now he's killing it in Milwaukee. Yeah, um, D- Detroit would love that. I mean they. They, they've had to shuffle around point guards quite a bit between uh, Reggie Jackson and Derrick Rose over the last few years, so they, I think they'd love to have a steady presence in Bledsoe. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So the next one, I, so I'm on the clock here with the Clippers, 29-53. Hey. <laughs> this one was hard to... Treat them well, my friend. Yeah, so well. this was the year where they had Blake Griffin completely out. They had a Baron Davis uh, as your leading scorer, but you had a, a bright spot and this is the year Chris Kamen became <laughs> an all-star. That's why you wanted to do 2010. <laughs> <laughs> this was, this was 18 and tw- 11 and 12 or 12. Chris Kamen came out and made the all-star team. And now that I'm looking at him, like how did this guy sneak into the all-star team on a 29 <laughs> and 53 team? Like, I know that's super weird. Who I didn't, I didn't dive into who was, I snubbed out, but yeah. I feel like somebody was left off that should have been, been on this team. A bunch of injuries. Yeah, like some, but either way, like Baron <laughs> Davis is the leading scorer, but Chris Kamen became the all star here. Man. And they, this team also had a young Eric Gordon. They ended up drafting Alfarico Aminu here. Um, and this one's tough because I'm just like, I'm not really sure what to do here that would actually turn the. The table here for this team. I don't really think there's much to do because I think the biggest, the biggest 
turning point for this team was this that in th- later that year they ended up trading Baron Davis and their unprotected 2011 pick uh, for Jamario Moon and Mo Williams and that pick <laughs> gosh dang it <laughs> and that pick ended up being Kyrie Irving oh. <laughs> <laughs> the so pain that really is the the shot in the dark the shot into the heart of they the traded LA their Clippers. best current point guard and a potential best ever point guard <laughs> exactly like oh. you get your hands on Kyrie Irving and uh, I don't know. Maybe he does take the Clippers over the hump as opposed to Chris Paul. I don't know. But either way, oh, <laughs> this one was tough. And I I think I'm just going to make sort of like a shot in the dark pick kind of like. Uh, oh, uh, you're not going to do them justice. <laughs> I'm not going to do them justice. I'm not really sure who to pick I mean, here. It's Al I'm not that sad about whoever you replace him with. Yeah, I might just go with somebody that you might not see this coming, but I'm going to do uh, it for you, Sean. I'm going to pick Jeremy Lin. I'm taking yes! Jeremy Lin on the bo- off the board. Yes! <laughs> I'm he, so happy you did that. He otherwise went undrafted this year, but this year he's he's going number eight to the Clippers. That is awesome. I was like, I had him on my list. I was like, man, I wonder if we're going to be able to fit Jeremy Lin in this top 15 somehow. <laughs> I'm so happy. Going number eight, man. That That's so much respect for our boy Jeremy Lin, who should still be playing in the NBA right now. But teams are just too blind to see the actual talent behind the man. That is Jeremy oh, Lin. All right, let's go to Utah. Let's, let's go to Utah. Let's see what you got for this all right, for the Jazz. All right. So Utah, they actually had a very good season. This this was in the Darren Williams, Carlos Boozer days. Um, so they actually got this lottery pick um, in a trade with Phoenix back in 2004. This is six years ago. For some <laughs> players I vaguely remember slash I haven't even heard of. So I think they're pretty happy getting the number nine pick here um, for six years ago. Um, so they're 53 and 29, which is fifth best in the West. They were the five seed in the West. Um, but they got ousted in the first round of the playoffs, as I recall. Um, and their starting lineup was a good one. It was Darren Williams, Wesley Matthews, Andre Kirilenko, Carlos Boozer, and Mehmet Okur. And they also had a young Paul Millsap off the bench. And this is a year where Darren Williams made his first all-star appearance. So they had a lot of good stuff going for them, but... For some reason in the offseason, they weren't willing to re-sign Boozer or Matthews to the contracts that they wanted, and so they had to let them walk, and now you're looking at a rebuild now. These are two of your core guys, um, so they actually did need this lottery pick, um, even being a playoff team the year before. Um, so if I'm looking at Utah and I see the pieces that, like, since this happened after the draft, but they were probably not planning on bringing them back, um, I'm looking to get a shooting guard or a power forward to replace um, what I lost in Wesley Matthews or Carlos Boozer. Um, obviously, I can't make the pick of Gordon Hayward, um, which <laughs> they did pick, which would have been perfect. Um, but so we're left here with a few different choices. I'm looking at uh, Derek Favors, maybe a power forward. Um, Avery Bradley is an interesting choice. Um I'm going to go with one of those two guys. It's just so hard to know which one's the right one. I'm going to go with Derek Favors. Yeah. Which is funny because they ended up with him eventually anyway. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. It just sounds like it sounds like it was meant to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, he'll fill in that slot where you lost Boozer and do that pretty well. He's a good player. 
Um, obviously, it won't be Gordon Hayward. So I think for Utah, we'd, we'd probably not see them at, get back into the playoffs for a while um, until the Donovan Mitchell days come back around. Yeah, it's kind of funny that the Utah Jazz, for as much as they've had players just abandon their franchise, they've, they've still consistently been a good team the last the last 20 years. Like, they have dry spells, but then they're back in there. They're back mm-hmm. in there as a fifth or fourth seed. Uh, and Gordon Hayward was one of those reasons. So not getting him obviously now means that they actually don't go through that, the, the spurts that we've been used to seeing out of them the last 20 years. So... Here at number 10 is Indiana, again, one of those franchises, too, who've just, like, the last 20 years have found a way to make it work again. Uh, but except for this little short window here where they go 32 and 50, they're ranked dead last in attendance this year. Like that <laughs> What a all. stat. And what a of, stat. I saw that, and I was like, I got to call that out. Because I feel like oh, Indiana loves their basketball, but not this year. They were not this dead year. last. They struggled to get to 15,000 people uh, a game. So they had a starting lineup of Earl Watson, Brandon Rush, Danny Granger, Tor- Troy Murphy, and a young Roy Hibbert. Um, I mean, Danny Granger was good. He was fire. Yeah, and they ended up drafting Paul George. I think it's Ooh. crazy that he had fallen this far down to them No respect this year. for Fresno, man. Yeah, no respect for <laughs> Fresno State, but th- there's no Paul George here. Nothing come even close to that, so... <laughs> Nothing really can change the the storyline here. I mean, oh, nothing it's, can. It's worse no matter what. Yeah, yeah. it's going to be worse. Like, there's nothing that can maintain the storyline. So, I'm going to just go with. Um, should I go? Actually, I'm not sure. Now, now I'm. Uh, yeah, I'm going to just go with Alfarico Aminu here for this okay. team for really sure. no good reason <laughs> other than then he seems to me like the better player out of who's still left he's, on the board. He's decent. <laughs> yeah. All right, yeah, that's fine. That's like, I don't know. He's a very average player, but that's what's left, you know? (laughs) There's not a lot of difference makers. You're not going to get a Paul George at this point when we're redrafting. Yeah, exactly. Maybe Alfredo Aminu has some secret secret potion that'll stop Danny Granger from having bad (laughs) knees and a bad lower back. Yeah, I think that's a fine pick. I might have gone guard because I feel like Earl Watson and Brandon Rush are your weaker pieces over, like, Troy Murphy and Roy Hibbert. But, eh, whatever. <laughs> so we're moving on here to New Orleans. Um, they finished the previous season 37-45, and 45, which was the fifth worst in the West, so not terrible. Um, but it was a pretty rough season um, with Chris Paul only being healthy for about half of it. Um, not even. The team struggled pretty badly without him in the lineup. Um, that The rest of that lineup consider, consisting of Marcus Thornton, uh, an older Peja Stojakovic, uh, David West, and Emeka Okafor, who was still in the league at this time, um, not in the G League. Um, so Peja is on his last legs. Um, Chris Paul, only healthy for half the season. They, they actually had a pretty decent season next year because he, he actually was healthy. Um, but so in re in real life, they traded this pick to OKC for two late first rounders and the people they picked with those are completely irrelevant. So I'm not even going to name them. <laughs> um, so we're going to pretend like they stuck with this number 11 pick right here. And in my opinion, their weakest positions are at the shooting guard or small forward, um, because Peja is about to retire and Marcus Thornton is a nobody. Um, so I'm going to fill one of those positions 
And since Peja hasn't retired quite yet, I'm going to go shooting guard. I'm going to go with Avery Bradley here. Ooh, Avery Bradley. Nice. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, and maybe maybe he has more more of his Boston days than he does his uh, Lakers or Clippers days. <laughs> oh, he had some good Boston days. He had oh, some good man. Boston days. Some very good Boston days. Yeah, so I mean, maybe he can, he does help because this New Orleans team does bounce back to think the next year to qualify. I think in the seventh or eighth seed, mm-hmm. uh, I think, or maybe not. Um, I don't really quite remember. Either way. Yeah. Moving on, so Memphis. I was actually pretty, pretty passionate about this one right here because Ooh, Memphis. Okay. Your boy's still on the board. Yeah, because Memphis <laughs> didn't need this draft to make them who they ended up being. However, had this had they drafted better here in the next couple of years, it would have augmented their team so much more than it did because this was the this is the year where grit and grind started coming together. They finished oh, okay. 37 and 45. However, this is the year they trade Quint Richardson to the Clippers for Zach Randolph. Oh, so many bad trades for the Clippers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was surprised that that's all it took to get Zach Randolph there, but that's it. And then that summer, after this draft, they signed Tony Allen as a free agent, and that mm. starts the grid and grind era because they already had Mike Conley. They had a young OJ Mayo, Rudy Gay, Zach Randolph, and Marcus Saul add Tony Allen, and then the next playoff year is where they upset the Spurs as the eighth seed and uh, the grid and grind era starts for this. So this nice. draft, they ended up going with Xavier Henry, who does nothing for the grid and grind <laughs> rosters. He, they, he ends up just getting waved and ends up becoming a Laker somehow. And then, <laughs> But there's one guy on the board still that I think had this guy been on the team in 2012, 2013, 2014, he might have just given them an extra umph to possibly uh, maybe go to the finals or beat OKC or beat the Spurs. And this guy is Evan Turner. Oh. I think if they had drafted Evan Turner right here, 2012 grid and grind, 2013 to fit to 14, that team would have been a lot better. And I would have loved to see some big upsets against OKC or the Warriors in the playoffs because they were always just missing that that 3 and D guy, that dude who could just guard positions and just knock down a shot for them. And Evan Turner was never a scorer, but he was that guy. He could have been that guy for them. Yeah, that that's a good one because, yeah, that was something. They, they did need more scoring on that grit and grind team. Um, Evan Turner, for I mean, obviously didn't live up to his number two overall pick status, but he he can still put the ball in the basket, even even if he is known by uh, the Game of Zones series as the guy that just goes for long two pointers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I mean, you just you pair him up with Conley. He doesn't have to be any number one, number two, or number three, but he can be a good number four. Oh yeah, that'd be a great <laughs> supplementary piece. Yeah, and he, like I'm, you said, any any addition besides Xavier Henry was going to be an upgrade. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they ended up rolling with Tayshawn Prince those years, but I would have taken Evan Turner over Tayshawn Prince any day. At least the yeah, older I mean, Tayshawn Prince. Yeah, we're talk- exactly. We're talking a 33-year-old Tayshawn Prince. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not a bad pick there. I like that a lot. I was wondering if Evan Turner was going to go off the board soon. <laughs> um, so that Yeah, so that's going to make this next pick a little harder for me. Um, for Toronto here, uh, they finished the previous season 40-42, and 42, not too bad. They barely missed the playoffs as the nine seed in the East uh, with a starting lineup of Jared Jack, uh, young DeMar DeRozan, 
an old Hito Turkoglu, Andrea Bargnani, and Chris Bosch, um, who was leading the charge for this team. But obviously uh, having a, few, a string of disappointing seasons in Toronto, not, per, not individual stats, but as a team, uh, Chris Bosch would then join up in South Beach with LeBron and Dwayne Wade and, and start that dynasty up. And then they also had a falling out with Hito Turkoglu. Um, so that's two of your starters down. Um, that you know that you're pretty aware of going into this offseason, going into this draft, um, and Demar Derozan wasn't a high impact player yet, but he he'd end up being that. So we're not going to go shooting guard. Uh, we're probably going to go someone that can replace Chris Bosh. Um, that being our biggest hole now that he's walking away, and th- and there's a few centers on the board. Uh, it was interesting because they actually did go with Ed Davis with this pick, who is like a power forward center type. I'm not excited about it, but I'm also not certain that there's anything else they can get at this point as far as big man goes. Um, the others being Greg Monroe. And, man, I would just love to give a shout-out to Boban Marjanovic right now, who went undrafted in this draft, and would have loved to see that pan out a little differently from my man right there, my favorite player of all time. <laughs> Put him but, on Toronto. <laughs> as far as overall like usability, I don't think it would have worked out for Bowman here. I'm not going to do him that injustice and just pick him just for the sake of picking him. Um, he's worth more than that to probably a non-lottery team. Um, so I'm actually I'm going to be super boring here. I'm going to go with Ed Davis. Um, same nice. pick that they made. Safe, safe, safe pick. Okay. Very, very safe. There's just nothing else that excites me about this team that, like, nothing would really get them over the hump any more than Ed Davis. Like, he's just a solid player, great rebounder, good energy guy. Greg Monroe is just too slow and labory, and, like, going into, like, your ninth, tenth year in the season, or in the league at this point, like, that's, he's not the type of player you want on your team. You want more of an Ed Davis type. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, solid pick i mean this team was really going nowhere other than straight to the rebuild mode lose mode mm-hmm. um so i got houston rockets next 42 and 40 uh this is coming off a year where they lost a close series against the lakers in 09 in the western conference semifinals or western playoff semifinals um they had a solid lineup aaron brooks shane battier trevor reza louis skull and chuck hayes but on the bench, they had a young Kyle Lowry, mm. an injured Yao Ming, oh. and an injured Tracy McGrady. <laughs> Could so, have been so much more. This team, so yes, much potential, so much more. But this was the last year that Tracy McGrady and Yao Ming would quote unquote be on the roster. Yao Ming retires after this year. McGrady leaves in free agency. Um, so this is a dark point for Houston Rockets up until they make that trade for James Harden. So. It almost feels like it doesn't really matter what I pick because James Harden trade is still four years away from here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I'm just going to go with something crazy, and I'm going to go with Lance Stevenson. Give the yes, give these fans Lance. something to cheer him, so let's go Lance 14 to the Houston Rockets. Yeah, man. Let's get some drama on that bench. <laughs> I like it. I'm a fan of that. And Lance Stevenson was a good player um, in his earlier years, so... I think yeah. that they they would be happy with that overall, and it, he probably wouldn't be a part of that team for very long. But for the amount of time that he was there, like they'd enjoy it. And yeah, it's not he, like they got anything out of Patrick Patterson, really. Yeah, he he Lance Stevenson will 
go for 25 and lose by 15. <laughs> <laughs> but it'll be very entertaining. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm going for here. Up until, until James awesome. Harden joins the roster. Yep, I got no problems with that. So we're, we're here with the last pick of the lottery. We got Milwaukee. Um, who had a very good season last season somehow. This is a baffling one for me. So they finished <laughs> the season 46-36, and 36, 6th seed in the East, made the playoffs, um, got this lottery pick in a pick swap with Chicago they made it with a, in a trade from last year. Um, but this is the ba- Their starting lineup is not good. Uh, Brandon Jennings, Charlie Bell, Carlos Delfino, Ursan Ilosova, and Andrew Bogut. Does that excite you at all? Is that I mean, scream playoff team to you? It doesn't. Does it now? But and this must have just been like the one or two years where Andrew Bogut was consistently and lived up to his number one pick hype. And I mean, Brandon yeah. Jennings is like notoriously now known for being that dude who had the crazy rookie year, but then mm-hmm. never <laughs> n- then just <laughs> hard after that. Yeah. So this is a team that did have Michael Red still on the lineup. Um, good old Michael Red, but um, he had an ACL tear the year before, came back for the first few games of the season, and then re-injured it and was out for the rest of the season. I think he only played 10 games total this whole season. Um, so they did this all without Michael Red, um, arguably their best player. Mm-hmm. Um, but they did have a deep bench that included guys like Luke Ridnour, John Salmons, and Luke Mabamute. I didn't know um, he was around. He's been around that I long. Know. Yeah, yeah, they've been around a while. Um, he's a vet now, but so they they had a pretty deep team, and I'd say that they're a pretty good defensive team, um, and definitely uh, benefiting a lot from Jennings just having an, an amazing year um, in his rookie year. So, uh, man, I'm looking at Michael Red being the guy we want to replace here because we know he's on his way out. Like he's re-injured himself. Uh, we're gonna need a shooting guard to fill in there. Um, to replace Charlie Bell. Well, I think Charlie Bell is probably the most expendable guy on this roster. Um, so like the pieces we have are good. So if we can get a guard, I think that would be the best bet for them. Um, unfortunately, there's not a lot of guards left um, that I'd want to draft. So I might just try to go with maybe a, a small forward that we can play as kind of like a, a large guard. Um, and I'm going to go with... I don't want to say it. I really don't. But Wesley Johnson, I'm gonna pick him. I'm gonna I pick thought Wesley you were gonna Johnson. go Bobin for sure. I'm not going Bobin. I I can't do that. To, I mean, they have Andrew Bogut. They're not gonna pick Bobin. Oh, uh, okay. Well, Wesley Wesley Johnson finds a home. Yeah, still Wesley in the Johnson top does. Yeah, I mean this this draft is not really one that had a lot of deep players in it. I mean, like mm-hmm. the, the the guys left on the board at this point that I'd be looking at as potential players are like Greg Monroe, another center, so I wasn't gonna pick him. There's Nemanja <laughs> Bajelica, um, who may be decent, but I mean, he played in Europe for a few years, so there's no short term gain there. Um, Trevor Booker was another name. Um, I don't really know too much about him, but he, it looks like he had some decent stats. So it's between them, but I know a little more about Wesley Johnson. And then there's like Bobin, and then there's also undrafted guard Ish Smith, <laughs> um, but not very exciting there either. So no. I don't know. Was there anyone else on on the board for you that you thought would might be a good fit here? No. <laughs> yeah. Bobin. No, there, yeah, Bobin. I know Bobin would have gotten picked very soon. I'm sure. Yeah, I mean it's just kind of like yeah, there aren't any game changers 
at this far down in the draft. I mean, especially when we have the hindsight to benefit us. So, no. It wasn't particularly deep. No, I think more than anything, our redraft didn't really create... I I still think Evan Turner does huge for Memphis, but outside of that, um, DeMarcus Cousins, I think, gets some winning game win some games there oh yeah for the i think philadelphia yeah new jersey i think yeah. definitely makes a big splash but for the most part it feels like most of these teams will end up being worse off <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's kind of sad yeah like i mean minnesota you could argue is definitely better yeah um well no you, you don't even need to argue it it's it's completely true <laughs> gordon hayward over wesley johnson so the teams that got better philadelphia new jersey Minnesota. I think that's where the list ends. I'll put Memphis on there. Okay, Memphis. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. And I'll, I'll, you know, I'll even throw in the Clippers. I would rather have Jeremy Lin than Alfaroka Manu. <laughs> you think Jeremy Lin gets him over the hump somehow? I would rather have him on the team. <laughs> hey, man, if he went Lin Sanity for the Clippers, yeah, they'd make the playoffs with him. Yeah. If he went with Sanity anywhere, he'd make the playoffs. That's true. That New York team was terrible. <laughs> yeah, that is true. You get just, all he had was Amari Stoudemire. You get Lin Sanity with Blake Griffin came in. Eric oh Gordon. yeah, dude, it's Dunzo. Yeah, that is a pretty solid squad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like it. I like it too. I think yeah, we did I'm a good ha- job. I'm happy. Yeah, I think we did good. I think now the next step is to compare it to how Bill Bill Simmons does his 2010 yes, yeah, NBA redraft. Gonna, <laughs> gonna copy our idea. If he yeah. if he jumps from whatever year he's on to 2010, then we'll know. <laughs> he copied us. Yeah, then we'll know he copied us. All right, I'll keep tabs on it. Uh, <laughs> well, thanks everybody for tuning in. Uh, that was the 2010 redraft. Uh, we got some more content coming for you, even though we are still in quarantine. Maybe another redraft, possibly. Um, breaking down some more of the last season uh, 30 for 30s that have been coming out so we got those reviews coming through but other than that thanks everybody for tuning in stay healthy and stay safe yep yep have a good week everybody